Technology's great, but it's going to kill us all someday. I can tell. The machines are coming for us, guys. Get ready. If you don't have a bunker already, you're going to need one. My name is Jared Kirk, and I don't really believe that. Let's start there. Um, thank you for coming to Renewal Church today. We're talking about money in the city. In just a minute, I'm going to share with you guys uh, the time in my life when I had a pretty serious money problem. But before we get there, we need to dispel a little bit of tension in the room because you're in a church and we're talking about money, so it's kind of a problem. You don't have to flee for the doors. Um, Before we we get further into this, the one thing I want to let you know is that um, we are not asking for money. There's no gotcha moment. There's no big capital campaign or giving campaign. There's no big fundraising push today or at the end of the series. This is not about fundraising for our church. In fact, our church is ahead of budget for the year because our church is regular and faithful in their giving. They do the consistent giving. Many people do um, online giving through the app where they just set it up recurring. And because of that, we're ahead of budget. So there's no big gotcha. Some of you don't believe that. And you're going to have to come back here every single week just for me to prove that I'm going to keep my word. And we're not going to do a big ask for money at the end of the series, but there's no gotcha moment in money in the city. But I, I told you I had a, a money problem, and this was a couple of years ago. I, um, I, I got in this kind of weird place in my head where I felt like we didn't have enough money. And I felt like I didn't understand what God was doing because surely he wanted me to provide for my family. And surely he wanted me to um, provide a home for my family and for us. And I, I just got more and more anxious about our finances. And when I would look at our bank account, I would just feel kind of anxiety. And when I would go to pay bills, I would feel a little bit of dread. I know no one in here has ever felt anxiety about money, right? But I did. And um, it kind of it came to a boil. It came to a head one night when I was at Northeastern University and I was speaking to a group of, of college students. And I remember really vividly... Um, having a conversation with one of the regional directors for um, a a parachurch ministry that was on campus. And I realized that I had had building anxiety and dread in my life, but actually absolutely nothing had changed in my finances. I was making the same amount of money that I was making the year before. Every day when I went home, our family had food to eat. In fact, every month when I paid the rent, the rent was paid for. Absolutely nothing had changed in my financial picture. No extra loan payments, no extra, no nothing. You know what had changed? My heart. Something was broken in my heart. And it made money a source of anxiety for me. And when I realized that, it enabled me to begin to deal with it in my own life. But, you know, maybe I think for me that was the moment where I most clearly saw that there is a direct line between your wallet and your heart. It's like there's a string connecting them together and, and your heart is tied to your wallet somehow. Maybe you've slipped into that place before where you've let your money tell you what you're worth. You've let your money tell you you're not a success, you're a failure. You've let your money tell you you're not a respectable person. You've let your money tell you um, your life is out of control. That you should live in fear or that you should live in worry. I think most of us get to that place sometime with our money. But there's actually an equal and opposite danger too. That sometimes 
ever so subtly, we slide into the place in our life where we don't realize that we're letting our money tell us what we're worth because we have a lot of money and it's telling us that we're worth a lot. And that's actually much harder to see, I think, and much harder to deal with. And yet, those twin poles of despair and pride and greed affect every single human heart. And it doesn't just have to do with whether you're rich or whether you're poor. It affects every human being because there is a line between your wallet and your heart. And as long as that connection is there, as long as there is a string tying your wallet to your heart, you will live alternating between these two poles of anxiety over money, over despair over money, over I'm not worth enough, I wish I had more, or feeling prideful about yourself, about look how far I've come, look what nice things I have, or in some cases, look what great experiences I can afford, or in your in your case, maybe it's look at what that number is on the screen when I pull up my account. The human heart alternates between despair and pride when, there's, when our wallet is tied to our heart. So, as a church, as a people, as a person, how do you begin to untie the string? How do you cut the string? Separating your heart from your wallet, your identity from your pocketbook, your worth, your real worth from your net worth. How do you separate that? That's what this series, Money in the City, is all about. Like I said, this series is not about a big giving campaign or about more generosity. We felt like as a church, it's important to start talking about money without asking about money because God wants more for you than he wants from you. And as we'll see a little bit later today, God doesn't need your money. Now, it does help the church. (laughs) But God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. God wants something for you financially more than he wants something from you. And our series, Money in the City, is all about cutting the string between your wallet and your heart. And we're doing that with a two-pronged approach. One is through Sunday morning sermon, this this sermon series that we're in right now. And this is all about heart work. This is all about what's happening in your soul, what's happening in your heart when it comes to money. But there's another side of that too, and that's a class that the church is offering called Financial Peace University. There's a cost associated with it, but you can sign up for more details, and that's, you know, uh, how do you make a budget? How do you save? How do you get an emergency fund? What's the role of insurance in your life? And all these sorts of practical questions, because for many of us, we have a desire to be generous. We have a desire to manage money well, but we just were never taught. Just were never taught. And so uh, the church is offering the Dave Ramsey course. So what I want you to do, if you're interested in that, is to sign up at the Next Step Center after the service. And you're not signing up for the course. You're signing up to get more information. So Ken Gilming is running the course for us. He'll send you an email with all the details of how it works and the cost and the dates and all those sorts of things. But right now, we're not talking about the practicalities of it. We're talking about the heart and how connected it is to our wallet. Last week, we were in the book of Luke, and we were looking at this story that Jesus told and and seeing how this story sets the whole picture and the whole understanding for how we relate to money in the city. And it was a story um, of minas, which is sometimes called talents. It just means a ton. It's like a ton of gold, a literal ton. It's a weight. 
And what happens is there's a nobleman who goes off into a far country. And while he's gone, he gives ten minas to three different servants. And then he comes back, and he says, well, he says, while I'm gone, I want you to invest this and make a profit for me. And we saw that this introduced the concept of stewardship, about how uh, we are given money to manage on someone else's behalf for their profit, not for our profit. Just like with a financial advisor. If you had a financial advisor and you gave them $1,000, it's not so that they can go out and throw a great birthday party for themselves. It's so that they can invest it to make more money for you. And the more profit they make for you, the more they are rewarded financially, at least in a perfect world. uh, Jesus tells the story of the nobleman who gives the talents to the servants, and he says, invest this, make a profit for me when I return. So the nobleman comes back, and the first servant has taken 10 minus, and he's turned it into 10 more. And the nobleman says, great job. I will now put you in charge of 10 cities. And he goes to the second service, and he took his ten minas and made five more with it. He made a profit of five. And so the master says, good job. I'll put you in charge of five cities. And then he goes to the last servant, and he says, um, I, didn't, I didn't invest it. In fact, I didn't even walk down to the bank. I just kind of hid it. And he stuffed it under the mattress. And Jesus says, well, the nobleman says, excuse me, take the, take the ten from him and give it to the one who already has ten. And we're, we're introduced to this concept That what we have comes from God. And that we're supposed to manage it well for his benefit and his profit. And so we said the big idea of the whole series is, whatever God gives you, manage it well for the glory of God. Whatever God gives you, manage it well for the glory of God. And all three parts of that are important. So today, for our time, we're looking at just the first part of that. Whatever God gives you. Whatever God gives you. And in the weeks to come, we'll talk about manage it well for the glory of God, okay? Whatever God gives you. What I think you'll discover is when you come to believe this and see this, that what you have comes from God, it will set you free. It will set you free. Free from measuring yourself by measuring your worth by your net worth. Free from never having enough. So turn with me in a Bible to 1 Chronicles 19, 11 through 16. Uh, grab a seat Bible. We bookmarked them for you with 1 Chronicles 19, 11 through 16. If you don't know where that is, feel free to ask your neighbor, like, where's 1 Chronicles? If your neighbor's feeling spunky, they'll tell you it's right before 2 Chronicles. You know who you are, Ethan. Yeah, well, I'm calling you out. 1 Chronicles 19, 11 through 16. This passage is all about, I mean, this is one of the most amazing places in the Bible that talks about how what we have is actually God's, about how it's a stewardship. It's something we're entrusted with, but it really belongs to God. I mean, it's absolutely incredible that we find this. And what's happening here is it's talking about King David. Maybe you've heard of him, David and Goliath, same guy. He becomes the king. His kingdom becomes an empire, and so he becomes incredibly wealthy. After he's done sort of empire building, sending his armies out and growing his kingdom larger and larger, there's this this beautiful moment where David says, I want to build a house for God, a temple. I want to build God a house. And the the prophet comes to David, comes back to David and says, "Um, God... Heard your desire to build him a house, but he says no 
He says, you're a man of bloodshed. Your son Solomon will build God's house. And instead, God will build you a house. And he promises David to build him a dynasty. That someone from David's throne would always sit on the... Someone from David's line would always sit on the throne over Israel. So God says no to David. And David responds with radical generosity. Let me say that again. God says no to David, and he responds with radical generosity. We're talking today about disentangling our wallet and our heart in such a way that if God said no to us, we could still respond with radical generosity. Now, that's a life goal. That's a real life goal. I want to get to that place in my life, that when God says no, I still respond with radical generosity to God. So here's what David does. He gives the money from the state treasury to build the temple, and then he gives from his own personal treasure to, to fund the work, and it's significant. Um, I, uh, I did a little calculating on how much he actually gave. Because, you know, you can always Google, like, uh, what's a talent of gold worth today? Um, so, um, according to my completely amateurish calculations, David gave about 112 tons of gold. So, uh, my, my Honda Pilot weighs about a ton. So, if you think about our parking lot, and then you fill up the entire parking lot with Honda Pilots, and then you double it, that was about the weight of gold <laughs> that David gave to the work. He gave 200 and uh, 262 tons of silver. So it was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. Somewhere in the range of, like, hundreds of billions of dollars. I mean, it was just like this insane amount of money. Or, excuse me, uh, somewhere in the range of hundreds of millions of dollars. When David gives all of this to God to build the temple, he prays a prayer in front of all the people. The prayer starts in verse 11, and that's what we're going to look at together. Here's what David says. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. So here's that idea of stewardship right off the bat. He says, everything in the world is God's because he's the creator. He created it. He made it. Therefore, it's his. He says, yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Now, that's interesting because David's the king of the kingdom. So if you thought the kingdom belonged to anybody, you would think it belongs to David. But he says, not just my treasure, but also even my kingdom and my responsibility belongs to God. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. So here's an understanding that what I have, I have it, I worked for it, it is mine, but it it comes from God. In other words, it belongs to God, but it's given to you. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Watch this. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. 
He says, of your own have we given you. In other words, what I'm giving you is already yours. You already own everything there is. So if I give you a gift out of my own wallet, I'm giving you a gift that you gave me. He's saying, I give you gifts because you gave me gifts. The very best you can possibly do is offer back to the Lord what he's already given to you. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was a younger kid, maybe like 11 or 12, I got an allowance. Any of you get an allowance just out of curiosity? Any of you, your parents, like, made you work for some extra money? Any of you just have to um, hit the streets selling newspapers? <laughs> or whatever. Um, well, I got an allowance. And when I was, like, 11. So my parents would give me, like, uh, $5 a week. When Christmas time would come around, they would take me to the mall, and I would go buy Christmas presents for my parents with the allowance money they had given me. So I'd wrap it up. On Christmas Day, I would open it up, you know, and, and the taste of an 11-year-old in presents is, like, horrendous. Okay, I have kids now. You know, it's sentimental, but they're not good gift givers. I don't know what, we'll, we'll have to work on that. But, so I, I, it's Christmas morning. My parents open up the gifts. And what do they say? You bought this with my money. This is the worst gift I've ever seen. I should have just kept my money and bought myself a gift. No, that's not what my parents said. You know, I didn't grow up in that kind of house. They said, um, they said, thank you. Because they knew that that gift reflected my heart. It was money they had given me and a gift I had bought for them with their own money. But in giving it back, I was showing something about my heart. Something about my heart. And David says that's the essence of the gift that he gave, this unimaginably large gift, is he says, from your own we have given you. Verse 15 continues. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there's no abiding. So he reminds us all that life is fleeting, that everyone dies, and we must someday face our Creator O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. David concludes with this astounding pronouncement that everything he has given to God comes from God. And this is not, I want to mention, the way that the world tends to give. Generally speaking, when you give a gift that big, you get a building named after you. Your name goes under the platinum donors list at the MFA. You know what I'm saying? They name the Harvard Business School after you when you give $100 million gifts. But David says, this isn't about me. This all came from God to begin with. It's already his. I'm just giving it back as an expression of my heart. You know why I love this? You know why I love this? Because these words didn't come from Solomon, they came from David. What do I mean by that? Solomon is David's son. He got an inheritance. So he didn't work for his money the same way that David did. But David worked for his money. He came from nothing. He came from a family in a no-name town, and he was a shepherd, which meant that his family did not have enough money to pay servants to do all the shepherding work. They had their kids doing it. So he's from a blue-collar family. He's a working kid. And he grows up. And um, he has to prove himself in the army. He has to prove himself as a commander. 
He has to live in exile for a while while the, the king Saul tries to kill him. And then he has to come back and fight his battles. Literally, David put more blood, sweat, and tears into his life's work than you and I ever will. And then he takes over the kingdom. He deals with people constantly trying to kill him and stab him. He goes out every spring and he expands the kingdom and the empire. David worked to get what he had. He was a better administrator than you will ever be. He was a harder worker than you will ever be. He was persecuted and threatened and people tried to kill him more than you will ever be tried to kill. That's not English. And so he worked to get what he had. Why does that matter? Because you and I, have the same thing in our heart, which is to say, that's nice that you say this all comes from God and belongs to God, but I earned it. I made it. I worked hard. I deserve it. It's mine. You see, that heart attitude runs through every human heart as far as I can tell. Every human heart. And yet here we have David, and nobody worked harder than David, and he's the one saying it all comes from God and it all belongs to God. And that's what enables him to give so unbelievably generously. Because his identity is not found in the size of his pile of wealth. It's found in God's love and grace towards him. So money becomes just money. And you can invest it in whatever way you want for kingdom purposes, for God's glory. It's just money. It's not your life. Here's the foundational belief we're talking about this morning that we find when we look at David's life. That everything I have comes from God and belongs to God. What I have comes from God and belongs to God. And when you believe that, it sets you free. What I have comes from God and belongs to God. Now, I know full well that there's two kinds of people in this room. There's people who believe that and people who just, you're not buying it. Like, I know, I get it. And so here's what I want you to do. I have, I have, um, I have uh, a next step for you. If you are the kind of person where you say, I believe this, I get it. I follow Jesus. I believe what the Bible says. So I'm willing to take that at face value. Everything I have comes from God and belongs to God. Your next step this week is to figure out what you have. Because next week we're going to talk about managing what God gives us well. And so I think many people in the United States, most of us, probably don't know the exact financial picture. Do you know what assets you have? Do you know what debt you have? Do you know... um, what, where your money is, do you have an IRA over here, or maybe you just need to line up, maybe you don't have savings, maybe you just need to line up all your credit card accounts, right, and just figure out what you have. And praise God for what he's given you. And ask God, if this is what I have, how would you, what would you have me do next? But there are some of you in this room as well that, um, You're not sure about this. I mean, you get it. Okay, God made it, so technically everything's his. But there is still a piece of your heart that holds out and says, yeah, but I worked for this and I earned it. So it's mine to do with what I want. For you, 
I want you to take an inventory. But I don't want you to take an inventory of your stuff. I want you to take an inventory of your heart. My, my suggestion for you for your next step this week is to go back through 1 Chronicles 19 and journal what's going on in your heart when you read that. And maybe ask yourself this question. Do I want this to be true or do I want this to be not true? And take an inventory of your heart of what you believe. Because if you are going to separate your wallet from your heart, it has to start with this foundational belief. Next week, we're going to look at a lot of practical stuff about managing money for God's glory. But if you don't have the foundational belief there, there's still going to be a connection. You'll let your net worth tell you what your worth is. And you'll be either in despair or prideful. I want to end today just by sharing a simple thought with you. If money has an outsized grip on your heart and your life, if you find yourself in that place where I got to a couple of years ago, where it's just anxiety-inducing and I felt like a failure of a person because of my bank account, or maybe for you it's pride. You feel a lot of pride in yourself because of your bank account. The most fundamental and foundational thing you need is not better money management techniques, but it's a new heart. It's a new identity that comes not from uh, what your bank says you're worth, but from what Jesus says you're worth. And Jesus says you're worth a lot to him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave. He gave and he gave and he gave because he loves you. Jesus was willing to endure anything for you. You know, he was sold for 30 pieces of silver so that you could be bought with his precious blood. That's, that's how God loves. That's how much you matter to God. And when, that, when, those, when those truths sink deep into your heart, your worth is settled. Your identity is settled. Your security is settled. And so your heart's not constantly seeking out something to, to, to please tell me what I'm worth. Please tell me I'm a success. Please tell me I, I'm respectable. Please tell me. Because your heart has already heard those things from Jesus. Jesus is the one who says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Jesus is the one who says, you are an aroma pleasing to God. Which is an Old Testament way of saying, God is pleased with you. Jesus is the one who gives you security. Jesus is the one who gives you control, not your money. And the deeper you rest in the truth that Jesus forgives you of your sin and gives you a new identity because of his love for you, the more you can cut the cord between your wallet and your heart. When your identity is settled in Christ, you don't have to go searching for something to tell you what you're worth. And when you can, when your money doesn't tell you what you're worth, it can just be money. And then you'll be free. Let's pray. God, this is a big and beautiful truth that what we have comes from you. Hard to believe sometimes. Hard to see sometimes. But in faith, we ask for the freedom that comes from believing and trusting your word. 
I pray today, God, that you would provide for those in our church who are in need, because whatever we have comes from you. I pray, God, for those of us living in pride in our possessions, in our bank account, in our experiences, that you would humble us to believe that what we have comes from you. I pray for those who are broken down today, believing lies about themselves because they are struggling with money, that they are, they're not a success, that they're not accepted, that they're not respected, that their life is out of control, that you would put those lies away and replace it with the truth, that whatever we have comes from you. And that we would find victory in our lives over the grip of money in our lives. That we would see that as we lose our grip on money, money loses its grip on us. We pray for freedom in these things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for being with us here today. We're going to continue our series next week on Money in the City. Right now we're going to have a time of communion, which is where we remember Jesus' death on the cross. Communion is supposed to be a time of introspection where we examine our heart. And do we approach the, the communion table with a pure heart and pure motives? Not that we're perfect or that our lives are free of sin, but that we are truly pursuing Christ. And we're seeking to repent from sin wherever we find it in our lives. It's a time of confession and prayer as well as we prepare ourselves. Communion at Renewal is open to anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And how we do it is... During this next song, you'll get up and get the bread and the cup and bring it back to your seat. And when the song is over, we'll all take communion together at that time. If you um, have not yet placed your faith in Jesus, but are considering that or investigating that, instead of taking communion during this time, I would challenge you to take Christ, the one who truly satisfies, the one who makes you worthy. And then come talk to me at the Next Step Center, and I've got some resources for you to give you you in that process, okay? Let me pray briefly for our communion, and uh, then we'll take together. God, I thank you for uh, loving us so much that you gave your son. You are the giving and generous God, and anything that we give is just a reflection of that. Help us today to focus and meditate on your son who gave himself willingly for us so that we could have freedom and the forgiveness of sin so that we could have a new heart and a new identity in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and stand with me during this next song. And whenever you'd like, you can come forward and take communion. I'm gonna bring back our third, our third song and sing that again. We'll be doing that um, within this month, next month. I pray that you truly listen to these words and let it penetrate your heart. From the love of my own comfort, from the fear of having nothing, to be under 
delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me remember the body of Christ in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes remember the blood of Christ church receive this benediction. May you live this week with an eternal perspective. Live as if God has come among us because he has. Live as if God has revealed himself to you and called you to love and do good for your neighbor because he has. Live in anticipation of the reconciliation of all creation to God because it is coming. Live as if your life depended upon God's grace because it does. May the hope of Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit be your greatest treasure in the week to come. 
Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. Sign up for Financial Peace at the Next Step Center. I'll be back there to say hey. Have a great Sunday.